White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 450. It's the Avengers Assemble podcast from the Jarvis heads of AvengersAssemble.net. Now, here's your host, Van Allen Plexico. Hello, and welcome to the Avengers Assemble podcast brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment, along with all of our great supporters via patreon.com. You know who you are, and we appreciate you. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and this episode, I have a very, very, I mean, this is super awesome, very special guest. This is somebody I have known online and through various uh, email groups and our websites and all that for a quarter of a century. Can you believe that? And yet, this is the first time we've ever really gotten to spend some time together, even if virtually, and that is Scott Harris. Welcome aboard the show, Scott. Hi, Van. Thanks very much for having me. It's nice to finally talk to you. I've yeah. heard your, your dulcet tones and uh, your your rich southern accent on your <laughs> podcast, but I've never actually had a chance to talk to you before. Yes, indeed. Yeah, It's probably a little less now than it was when we first digitally met because I've lived in St. Louis for about 13 years now. But yes, I'm an Alabama kid at heart and, and, and then Georgia and always will be. So you are actually the you are on our 450th episode of, of the White Rocket podcasts uh, between this one and the and the Wishbone and the James Bond on Her Majesty's Secret podcast. So it's kind of a milestone episode, and I'm really excited to have you on for it because uh, we've I mean you and I could just have a phone conversation. It's kind of like what my my co-host on the on the Auburn show John Ringer always says is we could just have these conversations privately anytime. It's just that we record them and let other people listen to them too because some people find them entertaining or interesting. And I think that what you and I are going to talk about here tonight over the next hour or so is stuff that quite a few people that we know certainly will find interesting. And that is that um, a, a quick little overview and then we'll do a little more specific is that um, you and I first got to know each other along with quite a few other people uh, way back 25 years ago this year, back in 1995, uh, after I put together the Avengers Assemble website. And we created a mailing list out of that. And for all these years, we've all kind of hung together in and out and communicated with each other. And now we're getting together tonight because in addition to it being 25 years since we all kind of virtually met, you've got this super cool new project going on involving comics. So we're going to talk about all that tonight and other things as well. But um, you give your side of it in, in terms of how we know each other and what that's all been like for 25 years because I'm kind of curious to get your take on it, if any. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I I'm a huge Avengers fan. My first issue was uh, 256 with the great uh, John Buscema cover where they're looking down into the the hidden the hidden Kazar's hidden land just before the uh uh what's his name the Termin the big uh, terminus the giant robot guy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> destroyed it. Uh and that cover is just it just grabbed me and uh just a huge Avengers fan and of course nowadays everybody in the world is a huge Avengers fan, but <laughs> Exactly. That many of us. Um, so you know, when the internet came around, uh, I w- was looking for other Avengers fans online, 
this was very early days in the internet when it's just coming into existence. And uh, I came across the Avengers mailing list and Avengers assemble and, uh, you know, joined up and immediately got into a bunch of, uh, you know, hot debates about <laughs> you know, the, the grandmaster and Kang and all the stuff that I, you know, had wanted to talk about, but didn't have, you know, too many people to talk about. I was lucky. I, I have a friend named Jason, who started reading comics at the same time I did in the, about 1985. And he also was a huge Avengers fan. So we would call each other every week when the new comics came out and talk about the new comics and particularly Avengers. I remember calling him after issue 274 where during the mansion siege where Hercules was almost beaten to death. And I called him that night and I was like, the next issue, it says the title's going to be Even a God Can Die. I don't believe it. Hercules is dead. Ah. <laughs> but so it was great to meet people online that I could share that enthusiasm with. No kidding. Yeah, that's that's it. I um, I remember um, real quick from my side, We uh, my roommate and I in graduate school at Auburn in 95, he worked at the University Computing Center, and so he had learned early HTML and kind of knew how to make websites and how to scan stuff and all. And so I would just like, I probably spent more time that semester like following him around the computer lab, learning stuff from him about the internet than I did actually going to class. And so I just kind of absorbed everything he had just learned and, and learned how to make a web page and do, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, I, and then I remember thinking, well, um, what do I really like that I want to make a web page about? And the Avengers immediately came to mind. Actually, I was also reading Nexus, and I thought, well, I'll make a Nexus page. But he went and did it before I could. So he created a Nexus page that's been gone for 24 years, probably. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll do the Avengers. And, and you know, I just threw together a bunch of stuff. And, and I, get, I think my, my appreciation and my love for the topic kind of was there. And like you said, this was very early day. There wasn't even like a Marvel.com or anything like that. This was when people were just putting some HTML and a couple of scans up, and that was a home page, you know. And so um, it was so funny because you were probably one of like the first, you know, 10 people, at least in my memory, to kind of come along. There was like a first wave uh, that Bobby Polite and I ran in, you know, started hearing from like Vince Alvarez and Lad Everett and um, a couple of other people. And then right after that wave came you and Mark Buskett. Mark's been on my show many times. He's kind of my official movie review co-host. And Mark Ballou. You guys all kind of came on around the same time, and so I've always kind of thought of you guys in the same breath. You know what I mean? I've always, I've always thought of you, Scott, and the two Marks as kind of like a set in a way, because I got to know all three of you about the same time, and you were all three cool, three of the coolest people I'd ever really, you know, gotten to know, even if it was only online. And, and like you say, it was just so great to have people that were good people, about the same age as me that got the same cultural references, that liked the same things I did, and, and we could talk about them endlessly. And yeah, you were naming like from the golden age of our Avengers uh, email group, the, the original uh, Avengers mailing list that Bobby put together for us uh, in 96, we were debating basically every Avengers topic you could ever think of to debate. We were throwing it out there. What I, I gotta ask real quick, while we're talking about this, what were some of the debates and, and arguments and things that were out there that, that still kind of stand out in your mind? Because I know our listeners will know exactly what we're talking about, besides the mountain, the, the mansion siege thing. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I definitely remember, you know, everything you're just talking about, like with, with the two marks. Mm -hmm. um, I guess we're like Cap's kooky quartet, where like the second <laughs> comes in. 
uh, just real quick anecdote. Not long after we all got on the mailing list, they were um, Mark uh, Busket actually only lived about 15 miles from me. Oh, um, wow. And so there was one time where um, uh, Baloo came out from wherever he was, Albany, somewhere in New York. Yeah. They came and met the two of us and the three of us went to a hockey game and just talked about Avengers the whole time. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, the one thing that stands out from like the first week I was on the mailing list was an intense discussion of the floating heads on the covers where you'd have like action sequence and then you have the different Avengers faces just looking at it in like shocked amazement, like the cover of, I think issue 60 of the wedding cover where Jan's being attacked by the Python and you see all the heads looking down like, Oh oh no. Um, yes. And the one that I really remember getting pretty heated is um, a little bit later when, when uh, Kurt Busick um, joined the mailing list uh, about the same time that he was starting his, mm. his run with um, George Perez. And there was a big heated debate that I was part of about the importance of keeping the original numbering. Cause they were renumbering, uh, Back to number one, and uh, that that debate got very heated. I think we, uh, you know, some friendships were shattered over over that uh, discussion. It which seems very quaint now when Marvel can't get a title past issue ten without rebooting. But that's I was going to say there were quite a few conversations back in our day there that today I would I would describe as that Onion article. The headline was when you're ready to have a serious conversation about Green Lantern, you have my email address. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had qu- we had quite a few of those, didn't we? And that was that was great. It's funny you mentioned the floating heads thing because you know that um, uh, Chris Kohler did the illustrations for all nine of my Sentinels novels, and he did the covers for for seven, eight, and nine. And the cover he did for seven has the floating heads of the Sentinels, my characters, all watching like this battle between. A good guy and a bad guy in the middle. So that's exactly what we were trying to sort of pay pay uh, homage to uh, with that. So yeah, that's classic stuff. Now the other thing I wanted to mention, and I mentioned this on Twitter to tease you know all the the rabid listeners to they have to tune in to hear the story, <laughs> is that uh, we haven't talked about this in a long time. So I'm not sure if you remember this, but we almost met before the Avengers mailing list because we happened to be. Do you, I don't know if you remember this. Um, sitting either in the same section or in the section two right next to each other, the same area in the stadium for the Nigeria versus Italy old cup match in 1994 in Foxborough. Holy crap. I forgot all about that. Yeah. It's been a while. (laughs) Yeah. We were, I can't remember exactly because at one point we, we compared tickets. We were either in the same section or you might've been the section either just below me or, or just to the left. Um, but yeah, we were, uh, we were at that, at that game, you know, cause, um, I shouldn't say game. We we're at that match because, uh, we lived in the area. We, we love soccer. And, um, you know, I remember Nigeria was ahead one nil and then Baggio mm-hmm. scored twice right at the death, like in the mm-hmm. 86th minute, uh, for, to pull it out for Italy, but it was just a fantastic experience. Mm-hmm. And then it, just funny to talk to you later and realize we had just been sitting like just a few rows apart. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, that's the only time to this day I've ever been to Boston. I um I was you know, I was in graduate school. That was 1994, the year before I started the the website. And um 
I I had become a big Italy fan. I was well, of course, the U.S. mainly, but my other team was was is, is still to this day is is Italy, and um, I had gone. I had driven with a friend of mine down to Orlando and watched a no-name match there, and it was really exciting, even though it was a boring game and a match I didn't care who was in it. And I thought, well, I want to go see Italy because the U.S. was like way off in Detroit or Los Angeles or whatever. And I thought, well, I want to go see Italy. And so I flew to D.C., which I was already familiar with from having lived there for a while, and, and watched them play Mexico. And I had such a good time that I turned around like the next week when they got into the second round, because I think that was the second round, right? And, yeah, um, I think yeah. so. And flew up to Boston, and uh, and the weirdest thing too is that the guy sitting next to me on the airplane was a fraternity brother of one of my relatives, and so he actually gave me a ride from the airport to my hotel, and then the next day I just took like a bus out to Foxborough, and uh, and went to that to that match, and it was amazing. It was like 80, 85 minutes of a tiny little section of Nigerians playing the drums and singing and dancing. Yeah. And five minutes of everybody else in the stadium going bananas. It was really, <laughs> you know, really quite amazing. So that was, yeah, I forgot that we were actually there. And, of course, if we had run at each other, we wouldn't have known it. We, would have, we hadn't, you know, gotten to know each other yet. So that is so cool. So, okay, so everybody listening pretty much knows what I do now. Um, and I, but, but you were just telling me, because we haven't talked personally in a while about what we're doing beyond just our fandom stuff. Tell folks, what do you do now? Because it's so cool. Yeah, I have, a, an, I guess, an unusual job, although these days it's becoming a little more usual. But um, <laughs> I write scripts for YouTube videos. My technical title is script editor, but that involves a lot of writing and rewriting. I um, work for a YouTube company. We have a bunch of different channels. Our main one that you might know is called Looper. We've got over mm-hmm. 5 million subscribers and we do cover like all the Marvel movies and big TV shows like the Witcher and stuff. And uh, so when the new movies come out, I have to go see it opening night and we you know rush home. We write the articles and then the next morning we turn it into a, uh, a YouTube video. Um, I've been writing articles and about, you know, pop culture movies and TV shows professionally since uh, 2007, all online so I've written, you know, for a lot of other websites in the past, but um, you know, this has been my longest gig. It's, it's I'm full time, which is unusual for, you know, for this sort of work, and uh, it's great. Um, I I really enjoy it. Uh, yeah. So if if you're online and you you see one of those videos <laughs> that's like ten Easter eggs in Avengers <laughs> Endgame that you missed, or uh, the untold truth of Tom Hiddleston, or something like that. <laughs> You can blame me in part for those because I am responsible for some part of those. That's so awesome. And I had no idea until tonight that you did that because, yeah, I watch as many of those as anybody does. I always enjoy them. And I should have known that somebody knowledgeable was behind at least some of them since sometimes they do get stuff right. And I'm like, well, then that must be the one that Scott's doing because you would know. So that's really, really cool. That's uh, And there's a whole lot of people that are jealous and wish they had the job that you had. So I'm, I'm, I know you appreciate it because <laughs> I do. I'm grateful yeah. every day for it. I, you know, mm. I was I started freelancing in 2007 and uh, didn't get full time until 2016. And mm. you live a freelancer for a decade you appreciate it you appreciate it a lot yeah i was a i was an adjunct instructor for 11 years before i got a tenured you know full-time job so believe me i know exactly (laughs) i know exactly what you're talking about so um 
Okay. Well, before we get into, because one of the reasons I have you on is you've got a comics series that you're doing now on your own, and we're going to talk about where people can find it and what it is and how awesome it is. But first, because you and I go back a quarter of a century on Avengers stuff, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about that with you because, see, here is my big dirty secret, is probably 2011. About 2011, I just lost all interest and love for current comics other than a few peripheral things and I'll I'll explain it this way the stuff that I'd really begin the stuff that I'd really begun to like in comics was moving me away from kind of the mainstream superhero stuff I was still reading a lot of it but a lot of it was just leaving me cold I felt like comics had changed a great deal now I always try to add this caveat that Comics should change, and that's okay. You know, I don't want them to keep writing comics the way they wrote them 40 years ago. For me, the, the thing that I've always worried about, and I wouldn't mind getting your take on this, by the way, the thing that I've always worried about is when comics keep changing over the years, but they're changing to try to hold on to that same aging audience, I worry that they're abandoning young people and, and still try, they're still trying to get me to read instead of trying to get some 12-year-old to read. And they don't need to be wasting their time on me. I'm probably not coming back. I, I, liked, I was starting to get into stuff like cross-gen, which had a lot of different genres. It wasn't superhero stuff so much. And, of course, that went away. And I love Nexus, but... Uh, Mike and, and, and dude quit doing that more or less. And so that went away. That was more sci-fi space opera stuff, comedy. Um, the stuff that I liked, you know, I was loving the Parker ones, but Darwin Cook passed away. So everything in comics that I loved kind of went away around 2011. And I pretty much bailed out. I Today I read comics mainly. I just have a bunch of stuff on my big iPad Pro and I just go on and read old stuff from our day, you know, on there. So what do you think about the current state of actual comic books and how they're mark how they're how they're designed now and how they're marketed? Well, I have a lot to say about this, and it actually ties in with my comic and what I'm doing with it because um, I've learned a lot about this working on my comic and mm -hmm. just involved in some alternative distribution systems for comic. Excellent. I'm with you. So I sort of gave up on mainstream Marvel a little bit earlier than you did. It was really about 2009. Uh, I think it was the siege storyline, dark rain, whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. Basically, you know, when it came to mainstream superhero books, um, the new Avengers with Bendis was the beginning of the end for me. Amen. And Preach. <laughs> the end of the end was that two year period where after a uh, civil war, where all the villains were had replaced the, the heroes and all the heroes were like fugitives. Um, and yeah, I, I was just done. And now I appreciated, as you mentioned, in some ways, they took a lot of risks during that period. Uh, there, there were a lot of innovative uh, storytelling that they were doing and major changes. And I appreciate all of that. Uh, the problem was I didn't like any of the stories that resulted from those decisions. So while I respected the, their boldness, uh, everything they did was designed for an audience other than me. It was in general, I feel like the mainstream comics and, and I'll say like the direct market is how I think of it. A, a huge portion of the direct market being DC and Marvel, they are 
pandering to a smaller an ever shrinking audience and it's sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy where they're trying to please this what they see is this core audience and by doing that um it continues to get smaller and smaller and uh, i i don't think it's um sustainable in the long term there's a lot of comic shops with you know the diamond has this monopoly and the way that they're set up a lot of comic shops it's a it's basically a pyramid scheme they make their money by uh selling to a tiny portion of collectors they'll get these variant covers that they can sell for 100 200 but in order to get them they have to order 25 or 50 or 100 copies of the regular version of the comic which they don't have any buyers for and so when you look at the sales charts, you'll see things where like, oh, Marvel put out this new number one for Wolverine or something, and it sold 125,000 copies, which, you know, 15 years ago, or, or rather 20 years ago, would have been almost nothing. And now you're like, oh, look how much it sold. But mm-hmm. how many are actually getting two readers? Probably less than half of that. You go to stores these days, and you can find long boxes of new comics for like 50 cents or a quarter each because they'll have... 30, 40, 50 copies of a single book where they had to order those to get the one variant that they could sell to actually make money. And uh, it's just it's just not sustainable. Um, but here's the secret <laughs> that I, I think a lot of people in inside the superhero mindset do not know is going on with comics right now. And that is that comics as a as a form is more popular now than it's than since the golden age uh the sales for comics outside of the direct market and outside of you know the traditional single issue floppy are absolutely astronomical right now and the but the readership is not the 30 and 40 something you know male people that go to buy wolverine fights deadpool for the hundredth time at the (laughs) local comic shop the vast majority of people buying comics these days are kids and teens the biggest seller in the market right now is Scholastic. Wow. There are titles um, that are being put out. Uh, there's one called Dogman, and then there's a whole series of graphic novels by um, a creator named... Uh, I'm going to absolutely massacre the name, I'm sorry, but it's Raina Telgemeier. Um, Dogman last year sold something like 3 million copies. And these are graphic novels that are like $10, $15 each. And Raina Telgemeier's last uh, book that came out last year sold almost a million copies. And the people buying those are kids like age 10 to 16. There's a massive, massive new uh, generation of comic readers that have never stepped into a local comic book store. They've never read a floppy for Marvel or DC and the sales from these are absolutely dwarf anything that Marvel and DC is doing, but because they're sort of outside of what the comics community, mm-hmm. the main comics community think of as comics, it's almost like people are, aren't aware of just how huge, comics have become in the last few years for this whole new generation that just doesn't care about the experience that we had. And so me with my comic, um, I mean, 
it's we'll get into the specifics of my comic, but just to talk about this distribution, another channel I go through is Kickstarter. And there's a lot of independent creators that go through Kickstarter because um, one of the great things about creating comics now, but also reading comics is that the, the gatekeepers of can all be bypassed. It's so difficult to get your book in a, a local comic shop because not only do you have to produce a, uh, a massive number in order for diamond to carry your book. You then have to convince the local comic shops to actually order your book, which most of them can't afford to do. They can't just take a, a gamble on some comic they've never heard of because they probably won't be able to sell it because people, the buyers at a local comic shop have a specific mindset of what they're looking for and, but how they want to purchase. They want something at a low price point that they can get every month as sort of like a disposable replaceable experience if you're a comic creator just doing it on your own like i am that's just not sustainable but luckily it doesn't have to be because thanks to the internet and thanks to print on demand i can print a very small run for you know much less money and then i can sell it through kickstarter or through my mailing list or through my website directly to my fans that i can meet and i'm not limited to the people that walk in my comic store in worcester I can send this to anybody in the world. And if, if I do a, a, like a digital PDF copy, which I, like most people have for their comics, I have for mine, mm-hmm. I can send people for absolutely free. They can read it, you know, mailing wise, you know, for a couple dollars, they people in Australia or Europe or Asia or anywhere can, can buy my comic. And it's basically democratized creating comics because anybody with the passion and the will to make a comic can do it successfully. They can find their audience um, and then they can sell it directly to their audience and completely sidestep the whole mess that Marvel and DC has made out of the comics industry. So if you go to Kickstarter, I love the Kickstarter community. It's very inclusive. You'll see genres, you know, there'll be romance and fantasy and anything you can think of. And they're being created by all these creators that don't have a voice at Marvel and DC. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not yet another book by some, you know, cynical, disgruntled uh, (laughs) Scottish curmudgeon. Um, There's all these books by LGBTQ creators, women, people of color, and also comics from people that didn't come up through traditional comics like we did. And so their frame of reference are manga or web comics or anime. And so the comics they're making are different. They read differently. They have a different expectation of what a comic story should be. They're not sort of bound by the conventions of the Marvel method or like, you know, how to draw comics, the Marvel way, those house styles, they have a completely different frame of reference. And so if you go on Kickstarter, anytime there'll be 150, 200 comic projects and you can just see, all sorts of stuff that you never see at a comic book shop. So these days I don't read any Marvel or DC books. The last one just got canceled. I was a huge fan of the unbeatable squirrel girl. Uh, That was a great series. That was the only Marvel or DC book that I'm reading. The only comics that I get at the comic shop these days is Yusaji Yojimbo Mm. and uh, Archie. I have, I'm big into Archie about 2012, I really got into Archie. I have a huge collection of Archie comics now. Um, it's so funny. If you told me 20 years ago, you know, when we we're reading Avengers, that now almost all the back issues I buy are either Archie or 
or vintage romance comics. I yeah. almost never buy any superhero stuff now, but um, yeah, th- there's there's this huge market that you just don't see if you are in the the LCS mindset, but it's out there. I think comics right now are more vital than they've ever been and more popular than they've been in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you'd never know it by going to your local comic shop where it's just increasingly shrinking and just dire all the time. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said all that because I had no idea, really. I, I really didn't. I mean, I I knew that there were other things out there, and I certainly knew that there were more, uh, you know, inclusive uh, voices and everything represented here and there. But, but yeah, the, the specifics you mentioned there, I was absolutely clueless about. So that's fantastic to learn. Um and, and I, yeah, I've had. I was saying, I'll tell you before we started, I've had experience, obviously, with with Kickstarter too, uh, and it is a nice way to reach an audience. I mean, I mean, we've even before Kickstarter and and comics and and like Kablam and all that ways of doing indie comics came along. You know, we were doing um, the you know books, paperbacks, and novels and anthologies and stuff. The whole new pulp movement that I've been part of since two thousand five was based around the idea of print-on-demand and then Kindle, you know, and, and easy distribution and, and independent access to publishing and to audiences. And so that really changed my life for the last, you know, 15 years. It's been really amazing. And it took a little while longer for comics to kind of find their, get their foot in the door and find a way to do it. But that exists now, too. And so uh, I had a fairly good experience with the first issue of Cold Lightning that came out a couple of years ago. We've got two more of those in the pipeline that I'm praying we'll be along soon, and uh, we've got a one-shot with Pulsar from the Sentinels that um, that's coming along. Hopefully, it's being colored right now, and we'll be along soon, too. So uh, so the audience out there, in addition to Scott's stuff that we're going to talk about here uh, in a second, you know, I've got some stuff out there and coming along, too. Um, of course, you know, Dragon Con every year, I've got a table there and, and, and usually move quite a bit of it there, too, and at Archon in St. Louis and other conventions, Birmingham and everything. So, yeah, it's true. There really are so many more ways now to, to get to an audience, to reach an audience, and to find one that very specifically, you know, I mean, likes what you're doing. It's the same thing with podcasting. It's the same thing with YouTube videos like you do. I mean, it's we, we really do live in the age of, as they say, narrow casting as opposed to broadcasting. And that's a, that's a very good thing. It does, it does mean there's a whole lot of more bad stuff out there than there used to be, but it also means there's a whole lot more very specifically good stuff. And that's always, I think, a, 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 a worthy trade-off. So um, we got uh, – let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing that – uh, that is new and that's uh, on Kickstarter and everything because it's a like we talk about different genres and and besides uh, superhero, neither one of us really is doing superhero. I'm doing kind of that military science fiction thing, and you're doing what? Because it looks so cool, but it, it, I can see a kind of an Archie influence looking at it now. I can also kind of see like a Scooby Doo influence maybe. So tell the folks exactly what it is you're doing and 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 where does it fit in story uh, you know genre wise. Yeah, I mean, both of those are, are clear influences. Um, it's basically my series is called The Crime Busters, and it's my sort of love letter to classic teen detective mystery adventure novels. When I was a kid, probably my favorite book series growing up was The Three Investigators. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Amen. And that's like probably the main touchstone for The Crime Busters. There's a lot of other influences. Um, mixed in there, but it's a lot of uh, three investigators, you know, Nancy Drew, mm. 
the Hardy Boys, um, Trixie Belden, but just that whole genre. Um, Scooby Doo is is clearly a, you know a major influence as well. I have to say I'm going to admit this, uh, even though you know I talk a lot about Scooby Doo when I'm discussing my comic. I never liked Scooby Doo, <laughs> but specific reason which I'm addressing in my comic, The Crime Busters. In the original series, Scooby-Doo, what always drove me nuts is that it was never actually a supernatural threat. Right. Every single time you'd be like, oh, it's it's a Frankenstein, it's a ghost. No, it's always a guy in a mask, it's a crooked real estate agent. What I want to do in The Crime Busters, there's definitely there's a supernatural tinge in each story. So like the first issue is called Return of the Death Mask, and in in that issue we meet are the crime busters, which um, the main characters are Chuck Chandler and Trixie trouble. And they're, <laughs> they are, um, they're college students. They're both sort of like amateur detectives. And one of the teachers shows up dead. And so they, they reluctantly sort of team up to try and figure out, you know, whether he actually committed suicide the way the cops are saying, or if there was some sort of supernatural element because, you know, there may or may not have been this cursed mask brought back from a Peruvian temple. And what I wanted to do in this story is in each issue, sort of leave it open to discussion. Maybe sometimes it is actually a ghost, or maybe it's not. So I don't want you going into every issue like with Scooby-Doo, where you'd start watching it and you knew before you watched it that it was not going to be, you know, Dracula. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Crime Busters, you know, I want I want to have it open so I can tell, you know, more down-to-earth stories where it is, you know, a robot and not actually Dracula. But I want to be able to tell stories where, you know, sometimes actually maybe it is a ghost. And it's also something of the characters in the story debate. You know, they're unsure what's happening. You know, that's the nature of supernatural stories. Um, people rarely are sure what they're experiencing, uh, but that's basically the main touchstone. It's like if you imagine the three investigators are Scooby-Doo, but sometimes these supernatural elements are actually taking place. There's definitely um, also like a, there's some Lovecraftian elements that, that seep in uh, on the edges. One thing I try to do because it takes me about six months to produce each issue is each one is a complete standalone story. It's not like, you know, Marvel or DC where they're writing for the trade to be collected and you buy an individual issue and nothing happens in it because it's just one part of a bigger story. I don't want that to happen here. So every story is a complete beginning, middle and end, you know, adventure. The second issue is called the secret of the ghost bride. So the first issue, you get the whole story for return of the death mask. The second issue, you get the whole story for uh, the secret of the ghost bride, but there is sort of a background broader story taking place and as these and eventually these individual uh episodes are going to sort of slot into a larger narrative that you just in these early issues you're just seeing the vague outline awesome i want to tell people to make sure to go and check it out if for another reason you've got so much i just was just scrolling down a little bit through here you've got so much content just packed onto just the fa just the, the kickstarter page in other words, I mean, yes. there's tons of stuff here. It's awesome, and it's all over the place. It's like there's like preview pages, there's cartoons, there's variant cover arts, 
artwork, there's photos and testimonials and descriptions, and there's just so, and I mean, you know, we were talking before we started that it's just so much work to do a, a, a Kickstarter thing, but man, when I look at all the stuff that you've put on here, yeah, you did put a ton of work into this. It's really impressive. Good grief. Thanks. Yeah, so the Kickstarter's live right now. It runs through February 28th, and you can get both issues one and two, or either. And I do have a lot of preview. If you go to the Kickstarter page, um, I think, Van, you have the link there, and we can share it with people. Yeah. But also, if you if you look for the, the Crime Busters on Kickstarter, it'll come up. Um, and the page, it's got uh, all the variant covers, which I'll, I'll talk about in a moment, but also it's got a six-page preview of issue one. It's got a three-page issue of... Uh, three-page preview of issue two. So you can, um, you know, get an idea of what you're in for. You get to meet the characters and sort of see some of their their interaction. Mm-hmm. And one of the stones for me, as I mentioned, my two main characters, there's Chuck Chandler. And uh, Chuck Chandler is actually a uh, public domain uh, character from the Golden Age. He started in a series called Boy Comics. Oh, wow. It first appeared in 1942 uh, in issue three of Boy Comics. And his series ran for 14 years. Uh, the last issue of the series was 119. It came out in 1956. So the Crime Busters actually picks up the continuity from Chuck's original series. You don't need to know any of that. Um, I'm a huge fan of the character. I have a complete run of boy comics. And so there's like little bits and pieces that are in their, uh, their character flavor, but they're also, to be honest, just me entertaining myself. Um, <laughs> But uh, as a result, you know, if you look at the variant covers, you'll see that every issue I have a variant cover that has the original Boy Comics logo and numbering. So if you happen to be a fan of, you know, Golden Age uh, heroes or public domain characters or Boy Comics specifically, one thing that is like uh, very near and dear to my heart is just the idea of continuing that legacy. And I always wanted to have the boy comics series continue so you can get um each issue with the boy comics so instead like crime busters number one had a, a boy comics number 120 variant cover the content's the same but the cover's different and with issue two there's a, a boy comics number 121 cover it's an homage to uh the cover of uh adventure comics 74 by simon and kirby um, so i like to do that sort of thing sort of pay homage to the golden age roots the other main character, Tracy Trouble, is a character I created. Um, and she's, you know, I was a huge fan of Trixie Belden and Nancy Drew. And I wanted, I definitely wanted to to have, uh, you know, a strong um, female sort of girl sleuth. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Lois Lane. So Trixie is a reporter for the school newspaper. And um, each issue has a variant cover paying tribute to to that idea to her. There's It's called the Trixie's Mysteries. Yeah. And there's... Uh, a cover that looks like a book cover from like a Nancy Drew like novel. So because that that's where I'm coming from with this series is no, those, it, those it awesome to- novels. It totally does. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's great. I mean, I love all the covers. All the you know, you did some of them right, and other people did some of them. But but yeah, I really like the not just the artwork, but I like the whole trade dress of the Trixie Trouble Mysteries book. That's I, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what he's doing here. Yeah, so that's that's awesome. Yeah. I like the, but I like the variation. I like that you go in different directions with it. I don't. I, that's that's neat that you yeah, can w- come up with so many different ways to go with it. I wanted to sort of pay tribute to my inspirations, and also, you know, I've 
the series appeals to a few different audiences. I do have, you know, people that there's a, a small but dedicated group of people that read golden age public domain stuff and they want to get that boy comics cover. But there's also people that, you know, they love Nancy Drew, they love the Hardy Boys, and so they're drawn to the Trixie's Mysteries cover. Um, one thing that, you know, I am bringing in some guest artists now, starting with issue two, to do some of these covers, particularly the Trixie's Mysteries covers going forward will all be done by um, by female comics creators. I really wanted to have to shot to have a like a spotlight um, and a place. It just it just felt right to have the the Trixie covers done by by these great indie female creators. Mm. Um, but one other thing I'm doing is like the main cover is always going to be done by me as long as I'm doing the interior, which I'm currently drawing as well. Uh, it's always frustrating to me when you get a comic that's got this great cover and you open it up and the art inside sucks. Um, so I want to make sure that the art on the regular cover is the same as the art on the inside. I don't want I don't want to like hire some awesome cover artist to do the cover and then people open it and they see my art inside. I want so what you see is what you get with the main cover. It's that's something that's an old school comic book reader right there. You know, mm-hmm. a few too many times of you know, seeing a great cover by Neil Adams and you open it up and it's like Herb Trimpey inside or something. <laughs> unless it's, unless it's Godzilla or the Shogun Warriors. Yes. I, w- I would be disappointed at that point, <laughs> but yes, no, I know exactly what you mean. I, I'm just impressed that you can do your own artwork and it's so great. I mean, I would saw off my left arm if I could draw with my right arm better than I can, but I'm a writer. And so I'm totally at the mercy of artists who are willing to uh, work with me. And so yeah, it, I've always well, thought the double threat folks are the are just so fortunate because you guys can do everything and you don't you're not reliant on somebody else, man. For a long time, I didn't think my art was good enough, and that's why it's taken me so long. I've always wanted to do comics, and I can write them fine, but I felt like I had this sort of again this sort of Marvel and DC mindset with the art. I knew there are certain limitations to my artwork, particularly when I'm trying to draw in like a superhero house style and uh so i was just like oh my art's not good enough and i don't have the money to hire an artist so i guess i just can't do comics but eventually i decided you know what i'm just gonna do it anyway i was very inspired again by people on kickstarter but also at independent comic shows where Mm -hmm. you know don't have that sort of block uh in their mind and they just they do it and sometimes you know you read these comics and the art's not very good but I love the passion of it and just sort of the the courage to just just do it. So I decided to do that. And as one thing that made a big difference is just deciding to change my style and do it in a more Archie style. Mm. Uh, one of my big influences is the original Archie Life with Archie series, uh, which ran from 1958 to 1991. And it had Archie and the gang in a lot of like weird supernatural, like long form more dramatic stories. Um, and some of those are really great. And, you know, I learned from reading those that you can still do these adventure action stories in an Archie style and it works. Uh, and so going to a more cartoony style really allowed me to just draw a lot better. Like it just felt a lot more comfortable Hmm. even trying to, you know, draw like John Buscema or something. Cause I just, that's just not, my style. Well, right. Of course. Yeah. Well, no. And you've, you've definitely found something that really works. I mean, it absolutely, 
I I would have never guessed that the same person that wrote it would have been able to draw it this well. It just looks so good, and I mean it's so that like you say that style and it is so suited. It's so suited to the uh, to the material. So I, I I do hope people will go and go to Kickstarter and and search for. Uh, I'll put the link and everything. But if you want to just if you're just listening like in the car or something, you can just go and put in the Crime Busters and just look at the preview art that Scott's got up here, man. It's just. Um, it's so cool. It's so amazing. It's there's just so many different ways of doing it. I'm just I am blown away. I really am. So you've got two issues out so far. Is that right? You have one already out and one that's like in the in the Kickstarter phase or what? That's right. Yeah. So issue one, um, I successfully kickstarted it uh, in uh, July, June and July. It ended in July. So that's uh, that's all published. I've got the second issue. I'm almost done drawing it. I think um, it'll be done. Kickstarter ends on the 28th, and then the way Kickstarter works is it takes two weeks before they actually send you the money. Hmm. So I'm expecting to get the money um, either on Friday the 13th or because of the weekend, it might be Monday the 16th of March. By that point, the second issue will be completely done. So as soon as I get the money, I'll be sending it to the printer. Hmm. Um, And then uh, I'm doing it right now. I'm able to do one issue every six months. Um, So my plan is uh, probably in... July, I will be going back with issue three. I haven't had a chance to actually start the artwork, but I have been doing some of the writing on issue three. So as soon as I'm done with issue two, I'm going to jump right into issue three and start that. My ultimate goal is, you know, next year I'll have issues four or five come out. And once I have five issues, um, I am going to collect it in a trade. And Mm -hmm. at that point, hopefully I'll be able to have a bigger Kickstarter where I can raise the money to hire a colorist. Um, right now, I'm doing it in grayscale, black and white, um, mm. which I personally am a big fan of, but I know not everyone is. Um, it's just a lot of a lot of reasons why I'm doing it black and white. They all kind of boil down to money and time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm colorblind, it's very difficult for me to color. It takes a long time. It's also much more expensive to print the individual issues in color. Sure, but I'm thinking, you know that at the end of next year, I'll have five issues done, and we can go to get a, a trade collection in color. I mean, ultimately I'd love to be able to do this full time. Um, but that's something I really need to scaffold up. It'll probably be a few years of this before I can build my fan base up enough to consider that. And, um, I've got a couple one shots that are spinoffs from the crime busters. I'm hoping to do an addition. I'm hoping to hire some artists so I can, cause I can write more, much faster than I can draw. So sure see a spinoff I'm, I'm hesitant to announce anything because i haven't got an artist yet but i have a story that's all ready to go for for a spinoff and if i can find an artist i'm hoping to do that this year as well um well uh, additionally i've got a couple stories that are going to be in anthologies later this year that i'm writing and other people are drawing i'm hoping to have a couple that are featuring crime busters characters right now the one that i'm that i have lined up uh It'll be coming out later this year. It's called Boston Powers. It's an anthology about um, superhero stories for kids all set in Boston. And that the first issue is going to Kickstarter later this month, but I'm going to be featured in one of the later issues later this year. Awesome. Well, I was going to say, one of, the, one of the things, though, that you have to bear in mind that I've learned kind of the hard way over the last 15 years is that this kind of stuff changes so rapidly and so unexpectedly and continuously that it's hard to make long range plans because, you know, like for example, when, when I started a new pulp in 2005, it was all print on demand paperbacks and that was the big thing. And we thought that was a huge new thing that would go on forever. 
And by like 2011, um, it had all gone to Kindle and the other, you know, e-readers and everything. And the paperbacks were already kind of dying off. The print on demand was slackening up a lot because people were moving over to Kindle. And in the last two or three years, I've noticed that a lot of it now, the sales seem to be more in Audible. And I mean, I do all three so I can watch which is selling when. And, you know, so just in the last few years, we've got this whole thing where Kickstarter has become like the comics venue. And I'm just curious what's going to happen next. I mean, how is it going to change? Will they find another way, a less expensive way to get better quality stuff out? And it's just that, you know, whenever you start getting comfortable that you've mastered an area of publishing in today's world, it changes drastically the next day. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's great to make plans, but man, you still have to be so nimble on your feet to adapt to the next big thing that technology brings along. So, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other strategies that other creators are are currently using. Um, there's a lot of comic creators who are primarily do web comics and uh, get their money through Patreon, mm-hmm. and then they'll just go to Kickstarter when they want to collect their their digital mm-hmm. work to a physical book. Um, I've, you know, I, what I would like to do is actually go the other way. Now that I have a couple issues in the can, I w- would like to also have like a an uh, like a free digital presence, basically to build up my audience. Because if you look at Kickstarter. The really big successful comic campaigns, most of them are from uh, people that have huge audiences through web comics. That's another place where, hmm. when you look at comics and the idea that you know the, the comics are dying out, there's there are co- web you know sites where you can read web comics where they'll have tens, hundreds of thousands of readers uh, for every issue, just like thousands and tens of thousands of people. And so you go to a website and they might have, you know, a hundred different titles that are ongoing and they all have tens of thousands of readers. It's just because the business model is different um, that they're not sort of acknowledged, but once in a while, you know, you look on Kickstarter and you'll see, Oh, someone just launched a campaign. And in the first day there, they've got like $45,000 raised from 900 backers. And it's because, you know, they have 50,000 people that read their webcomic and mm-hmm. are come there immediately to buy the physical collection. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get into that. It's just sort of, um, I'm old school. Holding the individual single issues of the comic is important to me. Like, I will always want to publish that if only for my for myself. Um, but there, there's a lot of other, you know, things I'm looking at, like Patreon and, and digital distribution that uh, could be more or less viable in the future, depending on how things shake out. I'll tell you, I've, Patreon has been a godsend. Patreon is why we don't have commercials on any of our White Rocket Network shows. That I get, you know, John and I get emails every week from people wanting to sponsor and pay us and all. And we're, we both have just agreed that we would prefer to be supported entirely by our listeners and not have to run ads and everything. Um, Cause when we do the Patreon ads, it's listing the people 
that support us and they get to hear their names. Whereas if it was an ad, we'd be talking about, you know, goodness knows what kind of strange products that we don't even really know anything about. They're just paying us. So, and Patreon has absolutely been great. Um, I wanted to, our last couple of things here before we wrap up. Um, one thing I want to, um, I'm, I'm, I want to end with what, what you've got coming up, where you see all this going down there. You've, you talked a bit about it already. You're talking about collecting, you know, you get five issues together and collect them and all that. But I want to know like other things you're thinking about doing and what you're, what, where you kind of ultimately see this property going and all that. But before that though, because we are on the Avengers Assemble podcast and you and I are Avengers fans forever, um, no pun intended. Um, I want to know what upcoming, Marvel-related movie or TV show currently is the one you are most looking forward to? I'm sure that's a hard question, but I'm really curious what you're going to say. I have two answers, I guess. In terms of movies, I'm most interested in um, Doctor Strange. Mm. Uh, the, the second Doctor Strange, I know that they've been having some creative differences. The director dropped out uh, and... Rumor is that Sam Raimi is going to be replacing the director. Hmm. Um, supposed to be a, a horror element, um, which I think would be perfect for Sam Raimi. I don't know how much you've heard about the Doctor Strange movie. It's called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yeah. It's got and, Scarlet Witch in it, so you know I'm down, man. I can't it's got wait. Scarlet Witch in it, and it's rumors are that he's going to be traveling through the multiverse. There's going to be alternate universe versions of the Marvel movie characters. Oh, that, that could be so fun. I mean, that's, that's almost like the time travel elements that we got that were so much fun in Endgame. Yeah. I mean, the big rumor that's, there's no way to be substantiated is that this is going to be the doorway where they bring the fantastic four and the X-Men into the MCU is oh. through strange going through the multiverse. All right. So this is the movie that I, that I'm, probably most interested in in terms of tv shows uh it's got to be wandavision yeah um so i'll be honest uh, this is a controversial thing i've talked about this of course with the on the avengers mailing list before in the comics i never liked scarlet witch and i specifically did not like her relationship with the vision i'm a huge fan of the vision and the the version of the vision that i really loved was the original vision um, by Roy Thomas mm -hmm. from first appearance up to the point where he started the relationship with Wanda. I, I loved the sort of um, Spock version of yes. Vision. He was brooding and but very philosophical. That's exactly that's exactly who he was. I've always said he started out as Mister Spock and then they slowly turned him into Data. Yeah, and I just loved that original version, and I I felt like the relationship with Wanda just messed up the character particularly i'm not as big a fan of Engelhart's run as most of the people on the avengers mailing list were mm. um and one of the reasons is i just really disliked his take on wanda and and his, her relationship with vision um i thought he wrote her as being very kind of shrill mm. and um i don't know i just never liked it so my big my big, uh, I'm unburdening my big secret here <laughs> is that I've come around on their relationship because I like it in the movies much better than I ever did in the comics. Sure. So I like the movie version of Scarlet Witch a lot better than the comic book version. Hmm. Uh, just real quick for hardcore old school Avengers fans, I have a, my, a big theory that I had that once, once they did this crap with Wanda 10 years ago, 
um, with the like House of M and uh, all the Avengers disassembled where she sort of like lost control of her powers and started this like dream world. And it turned out that her her children were actually just figments of her imagination that she brought to life subconsciously with her magic and her mutant ability. My big theory was that um, she subconsciously caused the vision to fall in love with her and read the original series. There's a number of times where the writers started a plot line with the vision where he's suddenly starts getting like very robotic and he's going to leave Wanda. It happens at least twice that I can Mm -hmm. think of. Yeah. Uh, And then that plot line both times is completely dropped out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And so my fan theory is that that was him sort of, rebelling against the spell that he was under. And then the reason that that disappeared again is because uh, her (laughs) mutant power clamped down on him and pulled him back. Every time he thinks he's getting out, he gets pulled back in. Yeah. So the entire relationship the whole time was actually Wanda unconsciously (laughs) manipulating vision with her. Wow. That's my fan wank. But anyway, I'm I'm really interested in the show. Um, I, it looks interesting, and it looks like that's kind of where they're going with the series. Is this sort of? Uh, I have the idea that it's going to be sort of Wanda's powers creating a bunch of sort of alternate dream worlds where they sort of get trapped in because she tries to bring him back, and it goes haywire. That's just a guess based on what I've seen. Um, I know that Kevin Feige has said that in this. Oh, she's actually going to be called the Scarlet Witch for the first time, and you're going to mm. see why she's called the Scarlet Witch. So I think we're going to see her actual like supernatural sorcery powers in the show. Um, so I'm 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 really interested. I love the Vision, and I really like the movie version of Vision. So yeah, really interested in that. I was, you know, it's funny you said that. I was just thinking earlier today when we, when I was reading a couple of articles, I was thinking how. They've never really called her the Scarlet Witch so far. I don't guess. Maybe have they not at all? No, they haven't at all. Just, just Wanda. There was just a thing I think this week where Kevin Feige was in an interview and he said, like, he pointed that out. He said, "We've never, we've only called her Wanda, but in the show, we're going to call her Scarlet Witch and we're going to see why she's yeah. called Scarlet." Well, so, everybody in the everybody in the periphery has called her that, and I guess it just made me think that she had been at some point in the in the movies too. Well this is what occurred to me just now that with the the time the the time pretty much that you and then I both got out of mainstream Marvel DC comics pretty much coincided with when we really got the sense that they knew what they were doing with the movies because you know that for for your for you and I for all of our lives the comics were always so much better written than movies and TV about them. I mean, there's you know exceptions here and there, but for the most part, any movie or TV adaptation of comics characters were never written as well. The production values were never any good, with, again, a couple of exceptions, but they just were never as good as the comics. And what happened is that basically starting with Iron Man to some... I mean, you can go back to X-Men, X-Men 2, whatever, if you want to, and that's fine. But by the time of Iron Man 1... And then Iron Man 2 and then Thor and Captain America and all that. By the time those came out, we all could kind of look at each other and go, now the movies are pretty much on par with the best of the comics or they're close to it. And I would argue that the the most recent MCU uh, phase, I've, I guess three, I don't know, I've lost track of it, but the most recent MCU phase was, was better written versions of stories 
many of which we had seen before, so that we're to the point now that the movies are actually doing better jobs with the characters and the stories than the comics are doing. And I mean, at that point, I have no interest in the comics at all, at least the new ones. Not that, you know, I still love the old ones, but because the movies now have taken the place. They're, they're bigger, they're more spectacular, and they're not embarrassing me the way that they used to, you know? Oh, I, I agree. The movies feel truer to the characters than the comics do. Yeah. So, to me, the MCU is the real version of the characters now. And <laughs> the comics are just sort of in this weird sort of like self-referential death spiral mm. where they're just going straight up their own butt. Um, and yeah, the movies... Uh, to me, are just just better done um, mm-hmm. than than the comics are now. So, I'm I'm trying to think what my answer would be real quick, and I, I it's hard because I, I agree with the ones that you named for sure. But there's also the element out there. I am really looking forward to the Eternals because I love the cosmic stuff, I love the Kirby stuff, and I'm really curious to see if they can make the, the Eternals as good as they could be. And if they do, they'll be way better than than they were written, honestly. I mean, Jack is a great artist and creator, but his scripting was never his strong suit. So I'm hoping the Eternals movie has all the grandeur and cosmic coolness that we saw in the comics, but with, you know, modern, powerful writing. So that one I, I'm excited about. Um, and of course, Captain Marvel 2 at some point. And I'm also curious when we're ever going to get Warlock and if they're going to screw that up. But but as far as the TV, I mean, what have we got? We've got WandaVision, we've got Falcon and Winter Soldier, and there's one other one, isn't there? There's Loki. Yeah, okay. Oh, I, I think the other property I think I must have been a movie then. It's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings or whatever. I'm looking forward to that, too. I am, I'm looking forward to that one. You know, see, I'm, I'm tepid on Eternals, and... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of tepid on most of their stuff um, that's coming up. Just the concepts, you know, they've been really good about being really good. So yeah. I'm sure movies come out, I'll enjoy them. Um, there have been some that I thought were just so-so, but even those were not bad. They were at least so-so. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and then they had the Hawkeye show, but that's been put on hiatus. I was so wondering we'll about that. Yeah, I haven't heard anything lately. It's 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 been put on hiatus um rumors are partially that they are waiting to they really want Haley steinfeld to play um kate bishop but her schedule uh isn't working for it yet so um jeremy renner has been in the middle of a very public uh like complete meltdown over the last several months so Mm. uh, that part of it is they just want to back away from that until he figures out what he's doing. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I think with the Eternals with me, it's really, it's, it's the, 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 the potentiality, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the potential and it could be terrible and it could be another guardians of the galaxy and that would be fantastic. You know, but that, I think that's just kind of what has me there, but, but I am curious about all of them, honestly. So I'll watch them all. So, our last thing, I want to see, um, what you have coming up in the future. Uh, you said you're going to keep doing crime busters and be able to collect them and everything. Do you have any other ideas or anything else kind of that you're going to be doing along those lines uh, or other ways that, that, um, that you haven't even maybe even started yet, but you're mulling over, you want to share with us? Well, so have, as I mentioned, 
each individual issue of Crime Busters is a self-contained story, but I do have a, a broader, like a longer-term arc mm-hmm. uh, that that's thirty issues long. And unless I can hire an artist that's faster, or I can get faster myself, it's going to take me fifteen years to do that storyline. <laughs> um, so right now, that's what I'm kind of struggling with. Even if I can get to the point where I can do three issues a year instead of two, it would you know cut five years off of my production time of this storyline. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to anything else that I would do outside of Crime Busters. Uh, as long as I'm drawing Crime Busters, it would have to be drawn by someone else. So I am. This year is is a time where one of the things I'm going to be doing is looking into just getting experience working with other artists that I hire, just to. On, on small like one shots and if if that works out yeah i have a couple other <laughs> series that i would really like to do i've got um like a big sort of uh, fantasy uh sword and sword and sorcery is not really the right word for it i have a big fantasy epic that i would like to do i had written um a fantasy novel a few years ago that i never released in any form um but i would really like to do it it's kind of like um it's actually like a a detective like a crime noir but it's what i call fantasy noir hmm. it's like if you imagine um like um oh i just i just blanked on the name imagine la confidential but set in like minus tirith yeah <laughs> that's, that, awesome. that's what the story is uh mm-hmm. and so i have like a whole giant story there that i would like to do but i would need to have a, another artist draw it um and then i have um, a couple other stories, you know, I, I think I, I mentioned briefly that I am really into romance comics. I have a, a huge collection of old romance comics at this point. Um, probably, I, don't know, I have several hundred, um, hmm. and just almost for my own entertainment, I would like to do at least one romance comic. Um, so we'll see. That would be something where I might be, uh, writing it and have uh, other artists do, you know, the cl- most romance comics were like three or four short stories. So it'd be something where I could bring in several artists and to do it. Um, Paul Kupperberg actually did this a couple years ago. He owns the rights to uh, the Charlton um, brand. Oh, wow. He revived one of the Charlton romance series. Uh, there's a couple issues that you can get um, print on demand uh, called secret romances. And he revived that series, and both both of the issues are he wrote all the stories, but he has different artists doing it, and they're all these sort of you know classic romance stories, but with sort of modern little like tongue in cheek twists to them. But he got some really great artists, like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez did one of the covers. So it's the, that's the sort of thing where at some point I would like to do that, kind of like where I brought back the boy comics. Um, logo for my own entertainment i would like to revive one of the classic romance series uh there's a series from a publisher called the uh, acg had a series called my romantic adventure um that ended with like issue 135 or something i would love to do the next issue of that series uh if only just to satisfy my own desire to have it <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see we'll see right now i'm really focused on crime busters if I get to the point where I can do a second ongoing series as a writer and have an artist do it, it will probably be this sort of epic fantasy storyline. That's yeah, that does sound really cool. It absolutely does. <sighs> All right. Well, um, I certainly uh, will be there. I will 
pick up whatever you you produce i'm going to jump on and get the ones you've these that you've got now out now as soon as possible and i'm i'm rooting for you to continue and be able to keep cranking these things out because that is so cool that is awesome um i guess uh any last things before we wrap up for tonight it's been awesome getting to talk to you by the way Oh, yeah. I've had a great time. Thanks so much for having me. I guess I'll just say again, it's Crime Busters. It's currently on Kickstarter through February 28. Mm-hmm. There's issues. The first issue, as I mentioned, is the um, Return of the Death Mask. The second issue, The Secret of the Ghost Bride. It's like a my twist on the classic sort of haunted house story um, where Chuck and Trixie are investigating a, a ghost story, a cold case murder mystery from the 19th century. And when their leads run out, they have to try time traveling to the past to see what happened in person and that's that has some twists and turns so um and that's also a very personal story for me you know i shared this uh you know with all of my readers and and with you guys my father passed away while i was working on this issue very Mm. unexpectedly Mm. and uh, the story is really about um what ghost stories are and how you know ghost stories are really about um how the people that came before us affect our lives and stick with us even in, uh, in, and affect our lives even after they're gone. So it's really a very personal story for me. It's, I mean, it's, it's an adventure story first and foremost, but um, I put, I put a lot of stuff into this issue. I'm, I'm really happy with it. Uh, and the other thing I'd say is um, if you do decide to back at the end of the campaign, I'll be sending out like a, a survey where I just asking you about what rewards picked and there'll be a place there where you can add notes. If you mention that you listen to the podcast here, I'll throw in uh, some bonus stuff when I send you rewards, maybe some stickers or buttons. We'll see. I have a number of things lying around here that are crime buster related. So you can get a little bonus. Just mention the podcast uh, when, when you, uh, when you get that survey at the end of the campaign and, and we'll, uh, we'll hook you up. Well, there you go. You can't beat that. That is awesome. Well, He's the creator of Crime Busters. He is a 25-year Jarvis head from AvengersAssemble.net. He's my pal. He is Scott Harris. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Great. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.